my name is DJ Darth Vader. Uh, I live in Connecticut. I am a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a full-time DJ, so I'm currently out of work uh, due to due to the COVID pandemic. <laughs> but I've taken over uh, streaming on Twitch as a as as a hobby originally pre-pandemic to something I, I take really seriously now. This handsome beast right here is Aiden Scott. I'm gonna let him kind of give you his background and bio when he gets started. Um, if you're not following him, make sure you do that. A lot of you came over from the initial raid from him, but if you're not following him, make sure you do so. Aiden Scott, how are you, sir? Is this good? Is this better now? I think, yeah, I think so. I think, I think it's great. Cool. Cool. Technology. I love it when technology works. I mean, with us, it's always hit or miss, right? There's always a, an opportunity for like there to be gremlins in the system and, and kind of messing with us. Of course. What's going to be weird right now is that the actual laptop I'm streaming off of is yeah. to my left. It's over there. It's over here. So I can't stare at it without looking like this. Yeah. And it's going to be weird because I'm not even do, looking at you unless you switch do, to things. Do, do you want me to like do that? Or do I, <laughs> so, so I'm literally watching the Twitch stream over here. Yeah. Which, yeah. Oh, you know what I could probably do? I could probably use that same link and put that up and I'll at least see the live feed, right? Yeah. Yeah, like on Twitch, yeah. I mean, it's no, gonna be. I, a little... I can I can bring up Streamyards again in a different browser. You can do whatever you like, sir. Uh, yes, I'm gonna try you, that. You you are, you are the guest of honor today. I'm gonna try that. <laughs> anyway, so what's good? What's good, Fader people? Yeah. So thanks for coming on, man. Like we both have uh, a huge, big passion for movies and and things like that, and uh, I think the Twitch world that we've kind of kind of fallen into and things is. Uh, kind of grown our, our friendship quite a bit and oh, absolutely i want to let the people know who don't know who you are introduce yourself so uh my name is aiden scott or that's what you're gonna know anyway um <laughs> uh i grew up in california born in 1980 i lived in california a little bit northern california like around like an hour and a half outside of san francisco in a little town called lodi from well, until 97, when my family relocated. Thank you, Lauren. Lauren just brought me tea. Hi, Lauren. They say hi. Uh, can you shut the door, please? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I, uh, my family relocated to uh, outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. In, um, about, what, about 97? In 97, yeah. So cool. I moved out here in 97, and I it was my senior year of high school at the time. Well, we, we moved between years, between the... The, the school break yeah and uh when we got out here i started my senior year of high school and um that's when i kind of discovered djing and started djing uh i worked for a real hokey mobile company like a the the guy you never want to dj your wedding that stereotypical hokey guy <laughs> dude uh, i call you know i call him dj cumberbuns he wore a cumberbun he yeah. I, dude, I got to get this loaded up in front of me or else it's going to drive me nuts. I'm, I'm talking to nothing right now and it's bugging me out. Um, You're just looking at your camera. So I'm trying to talk through it. I'm trying to talk <laughs> through it. I'm try yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at my camera. Um, yeah. I'm trying to talk through this. Uh, so I, I started working for a mobile company because I had a big music collection of like, see, I had a big CD collection. Sure. And, um, and I'm like, I was like, you know, a senior in high school. And I wanted to, I didn't want to work at, uh, I didn't want to work fast food. I'd already done that. I worked at Wendy's when I was 16. So I wanted to do something in music. So I got this job with this guy. And I started, because I was young, 
and he mm. was an old hokey guy, <laughs> I was able to help him get back in the market of like high school dances and proms right. and sweet being young and kind of relevant, right? Exactly. So um uh, I did that for a while. And then while my during my senior year of high school, I, w- I went to Votech. I didn't go to the main high school. I went to Votech to okay. study architecture. And during that year, I got a co-op job through the school. And the guy who hired me ended up being a drum and bass producer. And he introduced me to drum and bass and kind of introduced me to the, the rave scene in 98 here in Philadelphia. Cool. Which in turn introduced me to Bad Boy Bill. I heard a Bad Boy Bill mixtape and I'm like, holy shit, I want to do this. Right. And once I heard that, because of the mobile DJ company I worked for, there was another mobile DJ we knew who had already digitized all of his vinyl collection. So he was trying to get rid of his turntables, which he had a pair of mint condition Technique 1200s mm. with uh, Ortofon nightclub needles on them in road cases. And he uh, sold me what, the pair. What, what year was this? This is 98. Okay. Wow. And and they were probably 15 years old at that time. Those sure. tables, they were probably 15 years old. Tank. And he sold them to me, the pair, for 600 bucks, which was a steal. Right. Literally, they were mint condition. The only thing I ever ended up doing to those that pair of turntables was replacing the RCAs. Yeah. Um, and I internally grounded them. But yeah, that was gonna say probably that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh I started uh I started going to Philadelphia every Tuesday for new release days, buying Chicago House, uh Chicago Hard House Records, uh Disco House, Booty House, and I started playing like local raves, you know, like when there would be like 500 of us on a lineup and nobody got paid, but it was just a good time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I saw, I did that. I probably did that exclusively. Well, with mobile DJing until 2001 or two ish, probably one. Cool. And you know, I was in business school at the time, or maybe I was just getting done business school and I had a regular job, which I hated. I was doing web, I was doing web design um for an insurance company and i was literally (laughs) sitting in a cubicle all day i think i saw everything on the internet and i was just bored (laughs) i would literally come into work were you like were you like a dream weaver like programmer guy are we talking like yeah code i was coding html because uh uh, i went to business school for computers and networking so i learned how to build pcs i learned i learned i never got into like coding coding like c plus and shit like that Oh yeah, but uh, I was definitely more into the design stuff of it. So that's why does it look like I have lipstick? My camera, <laughs> my you're, camera. You're, let's do a little. Do look a little red. But, the know. rosy. My <laughs> this camera for this camera for some reason, uh, unless I turn the saturation down, makes my I look. I'm rosy. You're okay. You just Whatever. got off the set. You're, 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 it, it you're listening. Like, it's it your, looked, you're a hardworking man. It looks like look how red I am on the screen. Holy shit! If you keep pointing it out, you're only gonna probably gonna get redder. I'm just I know I'm gonna get redder, and I, I might just put myself in black and white now. <laughs> whatever you want to do, as uh, long as it's as long as it's not a bunch of snap face filters or whatever. You know? No, you don't want me to do that. You don't want to uh, turn into that. That no, yeah, yeah. Let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, yeah, I um, I started playing raves, and uh, I, then I had a re- a regular job that I ended up hating, so I quit a good pain. I quit a very good paying web design job because I was tired of sitting in a cubicle. I couldn't sit in a cubicle all day. Yeah. And um, I went and delivered food. I went and worked for a deli because I just couldn't do the corporate life. That's I just couldn't do it. And uh, so I started delivering food. And again, I'm, I'm still DJing this whole time. And uh, 
and then I started delivering for delivering furniture, but like for a really high end company. So that job, even though it was grunt work in a way, yeah, was kind of a dope job. It kept me in shape. It paid decent. It was like eighteen dollars an hour at the time. And nice. Um, the beauty about delivering uh, high end furniture for high end clientele is a lot of those clients have furniture that they're getting rid of, and they always ask us <laughs> to remove the furniture. Sure. And if you know anything about ultra rich people, a lot of them have furniture sets that they never use. They sure. just have like a they have a room that they decorated <laughs> and never use. Yeah. It's the room that you don't go in. It's the, it's like got got the good furniture, like the, the second dining room that you yes. like never go in. Yeah. I got and we almost had like this little it wasn't a scam because we weren't doing anything wrong because right. our, our boss let us do this. But the company itself didn't really charge a removal fee. So the clients would ask us how much they'd, uh, how much we'd accept to take away the furniture. Yeah. And a lot of the times it was pretty much brand new furniture. Right. So we'd like charge them a 50, 100 bucks. And then me and the other person on the truck would split that. And then we'd either call dibs on the furniture. <laughs> dibs. We'd call dibs. And then if neither of us, if neither of the people that were doing the work wanted it, we'd offer the furniture up to the people at the warehouse. And if they didn't want it, we we had a relationship with a local secondhand store that we'd oh, take man. the furniture to and sell it to them. <laughs> so we double dipped all the time. It was great. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Anyway, so I, I did this job for like five years or so. And it got to the point where I wasn't like, I thought I should get promoted to run that part of the company. Right. And I wasn't getting, there, there wasn't a job for it. So they had to create it, but they didn't want to do it. So I eventually got tired. And one day I start that this is around the same time. Oh, this is a super good segue into what we're going to talk about too. Um, so I started, uh, that's around the time I started getting tattooed. So I started like started my sleeve. Cool. And, um, the first tattoo I got on this arm, which I'll show you guys now. And some of you will know what it is. As you which, wish, which is, the uh it's one of the movie posters for the princess bride and it's yeah. wesley and buttercup and, and it and it says as you wish um it's funny how many people on the street have asked me oh is that you and your wife and then i have to <laughs> explain it to them but anyway so i i started getting this tattoo and i took mm -hmm. a sick day off of work <laughs> one day and i took a sick day to go get tattooed and when i did that the next day when i came in uh, I ran into the owner of the company, my boss, and he goes, he sees my arm and it's wrapped in the, the, the cellophane. And he goes, is that why you took off yesterday? And I go, yep. <laughs> and he goes, this really isn't working out anymore, is it? And I go, nope. <laughs> this is like exactly how the conversation went. <laughs> and he's like, uh, so I guess we're done here. And I go, I guess we are. And I got in my car and went home, filed unemployment. Wow. And for the next year of my life that I had unemployment, I focused uh, 100% on DJing. And that's when I started like networking more. That's when I got into the open format game yeah, or the actual club open format game. Yeah. I got you. Th that's when I got my first agent. And so that unemployment was like kind of my, uh, my, my parachute to transition from like nine to five type work right. into doing the DJ thing full time. And then after that, I didn't look back. That's crazy. Cause I had like a similar 
I had a similar story uh, as far as like DJing goes because I was working at a, a I, I'll fucking, I'll throw them under the bus. Um, the, the headwear brand 47, I used to work for them and I used to design headwear part-time while working full-time as like their production bitch. So like they designed one hat and then I'd be the guy that actually went and did all the computer artwork to ship to China to be made on every single 30 different you know, football teams, 30 major league baseball teams, 300 MC, uh, NCAA college teams. So I did like a lot of that work and I was um, designing headwear that I wanted to make for like legitimate styles for people to buy um, on the side. Like I would do all my work and I would do, cause I was, I'm a creative guy. I went to school for graphic design. So like, I, I, I still that like that itch, you know, to create is, is, is always going. Yeah. Um, of course. I, gave them um a not, it wasn't really an ultimatum but like i was talking to them about like my growth potential i'm like i hold down the majority of your multi-million dollar business and i'm still able to do this kind of you know stuff on the side i like this stuff i like designing stuff i like knowing what's on trend and what's cool and like that and like moving towards that i want to do that full time and then uh one of like the art directors like left and um, I'm actually going to have I've I've, t- I've talked to her about this. One of the other artists that worked with me, I'm actually going to have her come on the show. She's not a DJ, but uh, she loves movies and yeah. and all the kinds of nerdy shit. So we're, we're going to have her on the show uh, as well. I was like, look, go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's like a, it doesn't that suck when you work for a company that definitely has growth potential and you're a creative type. And they it's almost like they don't well, they, they take it for granted. They don't care yeah. enough and. You know what's funny? They, it's, it's that, go ahead. They didn't see. They didn't see the value in me. In in and I saw that. So when my my wife, uh, well, my fiance at the time, got a an opportunity to move and got a great job opportunity, I'm like, okay. I'm like, let's go. We moved to Connecticut, and that's when uh, we opened Shrine, like the big giant nightclub, yep. the mega club that's in Connecticut with. You know our our buddies Vinny Vibe and JD, like all those guys or whatever. Like that's when we moved there, and I wasn't so, even I wasn't even DJing be- yet. Who had the beard first? You or Vinny? <laughs> that's a great that's a great question. Uh, I had a a beard first. His beard was longer than mine, like the longer beard before me. Because I met Vinny when he was babyface. Vinny was like the faux hawk. Yes, that's when I, I met Vinny. There's pictures on my uh, on my Facebook in my wedding album because he DJed my wedding. So we're talking about a, a, a fellow DJ, Vinny Vibe, who's out of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Um, and he, like, they were around during, like, the inception of my DJ career. Because I DJed a couple parties in the 90s, the late 90s, but I had never pursued it to any kind of extent of owning gear at a regular basis, you know, doing this or that, the other thing. Um, I think I think we'll probably get into that a little bit later um, in you know in 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 the podcast because I'm I'm probably going to bring on uh, one of the guys that literally gave me the name Darth Vader. Um, okay. So that that that's a good story. That's a that's that's a homie that uh, that I'll, I'll definitely bring on the show. Let's talk a little bit about um, you growing up and you know in in I never did <laughs> as far as as far as uh, you know consuming media music you know things of that you kind of talked about how 
you know, you were in a professional level, like let's, let's get into, you know, a little bit about how you consumed, uh, you know, media and that as a, as a kid, were you big into the, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, the TV, the movies, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, actually, can you guys hear me still all right when I'm this far away from the mic? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, good. I just wanted yeah. to, I know this is a directional mic. I didn't know how far away I could be. Um, so I remember, uh, I have very fond memories of, watching a lot of kung fu movies as a as a kid and um my mom never really cared about me watching violence or uh or you know because i was I, as, a, as a kid i was into martial arts so obviously um growing up in the 80s i loved kung fu flicks and any any ninja movie i could find i loved um i still even though it's like a horrible movie if you watch it really if you've never seen the movie uh, American Ninja, love it. Um, but like, I, I remember, and obviously this is back in the day where you we recorded movies off of TV. So we yeah. had a VCR where we had to, <laughs> to actually hit record and you could, rec there was the extended play VHSs. So you could get about three, two hour movies on one VHS. <laughs> so that was like my first movie collection was all recorded VHSs. And we'd even... We had two VCRs, so we would actually rent movies at Blockbuster. Rip them. Yeah, <laughs> that was like the original movie ripping was. Yeah, for real. Two VCRs, and you re you recorded the you would play it on one VCR, record the other one, and that was my original movie collection. And uh, I remember one of my favorite VHS that I had was like all Looney Tunes. It was like all the classic Looney Tunes. Um, and I watched that so much, it, especially. My aunt and uncle had that at their house. I don't know. We didn't do that one. So that was my aunt and uncle. But uh, we, I just, I, every time I went over there, I had to watch this VHS of all the Looney Tunes. <laughs> and um, uh, when I started, it was probably not till I was, uh, well, it was when I moved to Pennsylvania, when I actually started getting into actual media collection. Um, my best friend in high school who runs a, uh, a YouTube channel called Cinema Sickness. I think I told you in the group chat about this uh, guy. Yeah, mm -hmm. his name's uh, Dave Eisenhower, and his his YouTube channel has actually gotten, you know, it's it's got a fan base, like a legit fan base. It's cool. and again for the for the uh, listeners or the viewers right now, um, which I can't see because I don't have Twitch pulled up. Uh, the way uh, go to on YouTube, just Google Cinema Sickness and check out his collection. We, me and him both started collecting DVDs around the same time. And my collection kind of got up to around 1,500, 2,000 movies at one point. Wow. Um, he kept going. And he, 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 the basement of his house is essentially a blockbuster on steroids. <laughs> um, he's made a business out of it. And he not only collects DVDs and Blu-rays, but he has like, Betamax and Laserdisc and and VHS. Oh wow! And so it's like yeah, not like a current thing. It's like a pro, like a. He is like a collector. A he is yeah, a true a connoisseur of of media. Media, right? Yeah. And um, uh, me and him both like literally the thing that we did at the time we were both straight edge too. So like we didn't go out to bars. Oh, to, yeah. We didn't go party and drink. I had my um, days of doing that too. So like our thing is like every week or two times a week we go to the movies. Um, my brother at the time worked at a theater, so we got free tickets all the time. Perfect. So we just, we went and saw everything, you know, we didn't, even if it was like a bad movie, we just went and saw it. Right. And, um, 
but and both of us being fans of mystery science theater stuff we didn't mind seeing bad movies because we just made fun of them right and uh so that uh i mean i i i tend to be a collector of things like i'll get really focused on things like right now i have my, my funko collection i have a huge funko collection but uh, uh, do you know how many pieces you have i know exactly how many pieces i have i can show you the um i have it all you have, have a database i have a database um <laughs> i have like five it's my, uh, my daughter has more than me are they all darth vader no, they're not. I've got a I've got a wide variety of, of my influences. I have one that's uh, Bob Ross because I love Bob Ross. I do not have a, a Lawrence Stefan birthday gifted custom Funko Pop though. I do yeah, not like, have. I literally a custom have Funko Pop. Custom Funko. It's got my tattoos. Like there's the Princess Bride tattoo. It's, it's on, awesome. It's on the on the Funko. That's super um, cool. Uh, so I have. Uh, let's see. Where's my collection here? I have four hundred and eighty-two. And wow. they're they're valued right now at eight thousand four hundred and eighty nine dollars. Wait, there's like a site that you can like plug in which ones you have. And yeah, it's, it's actually Funko's website. Or oh, Funko, really? That's cool. The Funko app, but they they base your value um, based on a website that tracks uh, like supply and demand for yeah, right. for different for different Funkos. for no, like the possible. rarity of them and this and that. Gotcha. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Uh, Alexa's talking to me. If we didn't say her name. <laughs> Alexa, stop. Yeah. God damn, Alexa. <laughs> Why you just said her name again? You know? I know. <laughs> <It's> sparky. <laughs> Don't say um, Anyway, so like, yeah, I, I was a big yeah. movie collector, and I saw just tons and tons and tons of movies. I even at one point started a... I had my website. I had my domain, and I started like kind of a movie critique blog that didn't go anywhere, and I didn't stick with it. But uh, there was a time where I was actually writing my reviews of movies oh really yeah that's cool. again it was very short-lived and uh i just didn't stick with it so i mean now if we want to try to switch gears a little bit and kind of talk about you know about your favorite movie obviously it's tattooed on the side of you um now 1987 you were how old in 87 i was seven so I assume that you didn't see this in theaters, right? You'd probably have to see it maybe a little no, bit later. I, I think the first the first movie I saw in a theater was either it was either Back to the Future okay. or or the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, I love that. I, 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 have, I remember seeing that movie for sure. So I have a very like my memory is not that good. It's really good, but at the same time, it's not so good at me recalling things on command. Yeah. Um. If things come up in regular conversation, I can like spout out facts. But if you put me on the spot, like I would be bad on Jeopardy. I think I would be really bad on Jeopardy. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I can't remember if it was if it was it was one of those two movies though. It was either Back mm -hmm. to the Future or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I saw in theaters first. So I and I actually don't even remember the year or when my when I saw Princess Bride for the first time. For but I was time. I was young. Mm -hmm. um, it had to have been. Either after it came out on VHS or when it was when it was on HBO or something in the in the something late like 80s. a TV kind of you know scenario yeah um gotcha. and uh yeah and it's funny because like the Princess Bride uh, didn't do well in the theaters it didn't I think it grossed thirty something million yeah off the top of my head yeah uh, what are you looking at all the stats do you have all the stats pulled up well I, I have some things aside but I, I I did some did some homework you know so yeah. I, yeah hit that hit that Buzzfeed article. <laughs> no, no BuzzFeed. Is there one? Just send it to me. I'll look at it. Yeah, there's a BuzzFeed article. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, no, I know it wasn't, you know, it, it, it wasn't, a, you know, a massive success at all. Yeah. No, and it's funny because a lot of it, a lot of the best movies or the most memorable movies from our era, like our childhood, were flops at the box office. Right. I mean, it, Some, I mean, it depends. But, you know, a lot of the ones that, you know, I think will will ring true with a lot of nostalgia for us. Like if we were trying to rewatch them, if we go back and and put our like critical you know thinking hats on that they're like they're they don't hold up you know what i mean they, they're like well what like what is this you know what i mean or is there some kind of like off like uh, a removal from that you know what movie that i went back and watched a couple years ago that did that to me where i'm like oh i'm not into this as much anymore <laughs> was a uh, big trouble in little china and i love that movie and i hate to say bad things about it maybe i need to rewatch it again maybe i was just like in a bad spot that day that i rewatched it yeah because I have such fond memories of that movie, and they're talking about the doing a remake of it right now too. But, uh, so, yeah. surprise, surprise, that we may be talking about that movie next week. Oh, nice. <laughs> so yeah, maybe you can rewatch it and then you know come back and, and join the roundtable discussion uh, about it. I'll try to do that because I don't think Lauren has seen that movie, so maybe we'll watch it together and um, and I'll revisit it. So tell me. You know why? You know I, I approach you about doing the show. I, I approach you. We were talking about like just the concept of a movie show. Yeah. Uh, you know, in general, and then I approach you like, come on, we'll talk about you, and then we'll kind of pivot, talk about your favorite, uh, like a movie. It's like it yeah. could be your favorite movie, just a movie you're passionate about, whatever. What is it about the Princess Bride for you that when when that comes to mind, like this is my favorite movie? Is there like you know a bullet point or two that's like this is why this movie is my favorite. So uh, I think there's a lot of things that when I was a child that I was into that I wasn't aware of why I was into it. Um, like I always tell a story about like, uh, it's funny. I said I was going to bring up religion on this, on this thing as a joke. Politics, I'm, religion. I'm, I'm know, actually yeah. going to right now. Um, okay. I am, I am agnostic, so I'm not a big fan of organized religion, but I love religion. I love learning about it. I have very fond, very vivid memories of being like under 10 years old or maybe like 10 years old going to church for the first time and in my head going, this is bullshit, <laughs> which you're not supposed to do when you're that young. Cause obviously most things like that are, you know, passed down from your parents or whatever. And then you just kind of believe it for some reason when I was a kid, I just, and I didn't know at the time why I was feeling this way until I was older and I could actually gather my thoughts. But, um, I think with Princess Bride, in the same vein as is just attaching yourself to something like that, is um, the writing of the movie. Which again, when you're a child, you don't understand the writing of a movie, the the screenplay, the actual dialogue. Um, but the dialogue is so witty, and there's so much sar sarcasm laced throughout the the script uh, that I I think that's what connected to me to it. Plus. I in my younger years I was kind of a a hopeless romantic. I was mostly raised by my mom and my grandma, so I was raised by uh, like women in a way. I had my grandpa until nine ninety, I think, is when he passed. Um, so I was ten. But like my actual biological father was he was an alcoholic and he was he had visitation, but he wasn't like a huge part in my life. Um, so it was like my grandma, my mom who raised me. So like. I guess, and obviously all the old Disney movies, like the, 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 the princesses and all that stuff like this. So like, 
I like the romance aspect of Princess Bride, but at the same time, and this is something that uh, somebody brought up in my chat room the other day when we were talking about this, is that isn't that a chick flick? And Princess Bride is not a chick flick okay. at all. And it's funny because a lot of people, when I say that the Princess Bride is my favorite movie and they've never seen it, they mm-hmm. automatically, for some reason in their head, think of the Princess Diaries, which is a chick flick. Right. And, uh, it's just not that. And it's a movie that has, yes, it has a love story. It has a love story, right. Yeah. It has a love story, but it also has action, and it has witty banner and sarcasm. And uh, it's, it's I a mean, well-crafted it's, comedy. It's Yes, exactly. And it, it just has everything. It has everything. Like all the genres of movies almost, it's kind of all baked into this, except for maybe horror. Unless you want to consider uh, the pit of despair a horror <laughs> part of the movie. Part of the movie, yeah, sure. Which is also something I want to talk about too, because anybody who's like, I've, I'm never that, oh, the book was better guy. I'm never that guy. Um, and I'm really not even with it with The Princess Bride. But if you've never actually read William Goldman's actual book, yeah, the book is amazing. And there's only one part of the book, there's one chapter of the book that they left out of the movie. That would have been an amazing addition to the story uh, of the actual theatrical release, but it probably would have added twenty to thirty minutes to the runtime. Yeah, it's all about uh, in the book. I mean, for those of you who've seen the movie, which I assume a lot of you have. <clears throat> yeah. When um when they're searching for Wesley and he's in the pit of despair being tortured, they find the entrance to the pit of despair. They go in, and they're automatically down there. They're already there. In the book, there's... um, And again, I didn't brush up on this as much. In the book, there's... It's either seven levels or nine levels of of a zoo. Because if okay. you remember right, they, they talk about Prince Hupperdink being a great hunter. Hunter, yeah. Yes. And he challenges himself to hunt the most dangerous animals or creatures in in the in the in the world so in the actual pit of despair of the book there's levels and every level has a more like a strong it's almost like a a video game where every level has a stronger beast or creature that they have Hmm. like kind of go through to get down to wesley who's the most dangerous wow okay so there's this part of the book, which that, I think that is very cool. I think that would be that that's that's something that I, I was unaware of. Yeah. And it's something like if you go to like if you Google fun facts of Princess Bride, they never talk about that. But that's part that's a chapter in the book that is a really good read that they left out of the screenplay. I mean, obviously, rightfully so. It's very hard to get a movie made. Um Princess he, Bride barely got made. Yeah, he tried for I was gonna say, like, uh let's I have the 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 trailer of the movie. So I figured like let's you know I'm gonna pull up the trailer, we can all kind of you know catch up with it and then let's just kind of you know kind of go from there. Is that cool? Cool. I I don't think it, it's been a long time since I've seen the actual theatrical trailer. Yeah, let's here. I'm gonna pull it up. I'm gonna pull it up right here and be able to watch. Grandfather's here. Pinch my cheek. I hate that. Maybe he won't. Hey, I was just Huh? I brought you a special present. What is it? It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. Peter Falk. Today, I'm gonna read it to you. R.I.P. Fred Savage. Life didn't seem so complicated. Marriage is what wins us. Marriage. Wow, wow, the wedding. What? Wow, 
Billy Crystal, let's go. <laughs> a courtly age of gentle conversation. I will always come for you. But how can you be sure? And I will always come for you. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Is this a kissing book? No. Actually, there was a lot of treachery. Errol. Big rip to Andre, too. And revenge. Prepare to die. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. <laughs> there were affairs of state. But I've got my country's 500th anniversary plan. You hear that sax? My wife like, <laughs> that trailer sax? That hot, hot sax. Affairs of the heart. My Wesley will always come for me. Your Wesley is dead. Giggity. <laughs> I've seen worse. Bye bye, boy. Have fun storming the castle. It's more than clearly. What's the difference? We've got him. Goodbye. It's a story of love. A tale of adventure. It's as real as the feelings you feel. Kissing again. Someday you may not mind so much. The Princess Bride. Not just your basic, average, everyday, ordinary, run of the mill, ho hum fairy tale. He went the trailer in the announcement, right? What's that? I said, even with the trailer and the announcement, like that extra little piece of like smart with no fees comedy. Uh, oh, right into it. oh, we're getting an ad. Capital One is like the. So. It's uh yeah that I I actually don't know um it's I don't remember that trailer at all and how it played out I didn't remember the sex that was kind of funny the sexy sex right <laughs> uh, I thought it was funny but yeah that uh for those of you who don't know that movie was they tried to make that movie in the late seventies in the seventies yes and Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed was to be originally supposed to be cast in Fezzik and um. Uh, Andre the Giant's character, if you're yeah, Andre the Giant's no. character, Fezzik. And yeah. when they when they finally when uh when Rob Reiner, well, uh, I guess a, a bunch of people, or a handful of people tried to make the movie, right. and uh, no studio would greenlight the the screenplay. And then Rob Reiner directed uh, Spinal Tap and um and uh what was the other movie? Um, uh, the Sure Thing. Uh, the Sure Thing. Yeah. And he was like kind of ho Hollywood royalty at that point, mm -hmm. and the studio gave him carte blanche to make whatever movie he wanted. Yeah. And uh, William Goldman um, became really good friends with Rob. And uh, so if you don't know the history of, of William writing The Princess Bride, he wrote it for his two daughters, mm -hmm. and who were, I think, four and seven at the time. And uh, he considers it his most prized work of writing ever. That's why he was so protective of it being a movie and being like it had to be the right director to to do the screenplay, right? Or to to to, to make the movie. And the way the the movie got its name is he literally asked his daughters, "What do you want me to write about?" And one of them said "princess," and the other one said "a, a bride." So he's like, "All right, we'll just use both of those things." He's like, "I'll take it from here." And just yeah. went with it. Um, but yeah, they uh, isn't it crazy it, like. Isn't that crazy how, like, the smallest... It's like the butterfly effect, right? The smallest little thing can ripple and become such... You know, it, this this movie's a cult classic movie. Yeah. And, like, for, like, a, a four- and seven-year-old girl to say two words that kind of spawned this yeah. fandom that's literally 
inked and on your body like forever like the magnitude of that like that that those small things that end up turning to like really big things in the long run all yeah. that 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 kind of mental process uh it, it always like wows me even the actors today like carrie ells he says that in like uh wallace sean um the guy who plays Vicini, they all still to this day when fans see them on the street or whatever even though they have such a crazy body of work amongst them now beyond this movie yes beyond yeah. this that they say they get set like people say as you wish or like you know uh you know you killed my father prepare to die they, yeah they, mandy patinkin still gets quoted yeah. that the whole yeah. entire, like all the time and, Ma- and mandy patinkin before filming was like probably the most uh uh distinguished actor that got a, a lot of them it's funny carrie ells was the least carrie ells and um and uh uh what uh, robin wright robin yeah robin wright were probably the least uh, qualified actors on the cast because I mean even Fred Savage at ten years old already had <laughs> he had a better extensive yeah <laughs> he had a he had a bigger resume sure. um, Andre the Giant had a bigger resume he had a bunch of guest spots on different things he was in a Bond movie I guess yeah. or no was it Bond or was it a um or was it a million think, dollar million dollar man no. or he was a villain in something yeah and uh so like. Almost everybody, I mean, you had Christopher Guest. It's everybody had a, a better resume at the time than Carrie Ells and Robin Wright. And obviously, sure. now Carrie Ells and Robin Wright have done a lot. Sure. I'm going to I'm gonna say this about this movie because we can kind of like work from it. Because I have only seen this movie twice, which to a lot of the, the fans, the, the fans are going to be like, what? What do you mean? I uh, had not watched this movie uh, up until this past year for the first time from start to finish. I knew, you know, some of the lines and some of the quotes and things of that and seen clips here and there, but to sit down and and watch it from start to finish, I had never seen it until this past year. Um, so as like a new kind of, uh, you know, a, a, a new observer to like what this is, I don't have the whole, uh, the whole sentiment that a lot of people would have to this movie, but I did, but I do really enjoy it. I did really enjoy it. I do laugh. I do think it's funny. I do think it's very well written. Uh, and one so of funny. and one of the things that I think is maybe indirectly clever about the movie, and maybe it's unintended, but I feel that the supporting cast in this movie far outshines the love story of the two main characters, if you will, between uh, Wesley and Buttercup. I feel that the supporting characters around them are so much better and so strong, like so much stronger the, than the two of them. I who just, do you, you think it's the weakest character? Ooh, uh, I mean, the weakest character is probably uh, uh, the, the bad guy. It's probably Humperdinck. I would almost say Buttercup is the weakest character. Well, you know what? You're, I would say you're right. Yes, because even Humperdinck's got a couple like good, good lines, and he's that kind of like quintessential, like like that little yeah. hoity-toity like guy. So yeah, I would say, I, I would say you're you're probably right. Uh, I would give I would give her like low on the totem pole for that. Like as far as that main story goes, what I yes. what what I do really love about the movie itself is that it's a cutaway. Like it's not breaking a fourth wall because they're not like talking about it inside that story but it's a story within a story in a sense 
that you know you've got Peter Falk and Fred Savage on a you know a, a sick day from school, and that's something that I think was really clever, even even still until this you know till this day. Even yeah. you know they do that with modern storytelling and that. So like uh, to have that you know wherewithal to like to shoot that in in its way, I think is was really clever and really smart. Did you read about the uh, the what the the originally shot ending? What it was supposed to be? The the original ending they shot? Mm, tell me about it. They didn't go with it was it was almost a ending like they did in Labyrinth, which I'm sure you've seen, which I'm sure you're eventually going to talk about on the show anyway. If you go far eventually, um, the original ending was shot with uh Fred Savage looking out the window and seeing uh Fessick and um Indigo on the horses and like like kind of like a oh they're in re they're real, yeah, yeah they're okay. real. and uh, they ended up reshooting the endings and not going with that ending, which I think was a good move. Because that's, in a way, that's one of those, like, cheesy 80s tropes, in a way, that, that type of an ending. Right. Although, at the same time, I didn't mind it in Labyrinth, the way they ended Labyrinth. So that's for another podcast. <laughs> uh, Maybe we'll have you on for, for, for oh, another one. I'll definitely come on, if you ever discuss that movie with somebody, I'll come on as far as the roundtable. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the whole cast, the way it came together... Which, uh, um, if you, again, if you're a, f a fan of this movie like I am, and you like learning about how things get made, mm -hmm. uh, Carrie Ells wrote a tell-all book about the movie and how his, how his part in it and meeting everybody and all the behind-the-scenes stuff that happened throughout the filming of the movie, it's called As You Wish. Mm. Um I highly recommend you get the audiobook because Carrie Ells narrates it. Plus, some of the other people are in the um, audio for, uh, version too. Uh, but it's very good if you, again, if you're a fan of the movie and you want more insight into it. It's a very good audiobook. It's like a five-hour listen, five and a half-hour listen. So, how many times, if you had to try to count, quantify, how many times do you think you've seen this movie? Some people are leaving comments in the chat that they've seen that they're shocked that I've only seen this once or only twice or how many times have you have you do you think you've seen this movie? So, I mean, I'm not one of those avid. There's probably other movies I've seen more. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, like, like I would probably say I've seen Zoolander more because Zoolander is one of those movies <laughs> that I would put on in the background and it's just like funny the whole way through. I like those movies. Yeah. And I, I mean, probably like. 30 plus times maybe so it's not like like i'm the star wars guy who's seen it 500 times it's not that at all but um it's I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not i love star wars and i haven't seen star wars 500 times so it's okay. yeah it's it's uh i've probably seen it 20 30 times somewhere in that realm uh in my lifetime you know it's so not like some crazy fanatic number of times Let's play uh, a little thing that we kind of talked about that, that I want to do because I, I think it's fun to kind of, and it's not uncommon in Hollywood to sit there and uh, to beat a dead horse or to uh, not develop original content and end up coming up with a reboot or a remake of, you know, a classic movie that, you know, preys on people's nostalgia, pops it into today's, you know, with modern technology. What I want to uh, say to you is this. Aiden Scott, you're never going to believe this. They are rebooting uh, The Princess Bride. They're remaking it in 2025. It's our job to cast this movie with actors from today. See, I'm, again, I'm really bad at this game. I'm really bad because a lot of the times, I'm one of those people that as much as I love movies, like there'll be times where I'm like, what's that actress's name? What's that actor's name? It's one of those things. 
like I'm, I'm really bad with names in general. It's really crazy that I remember my friends' names, to be honest. Um, Lauren's lucky I remember her name most days. I'm sure the chat room or the, the viewers in the chat's going to light up with uh, people. And I mean, wh the, what's going to be the hardest role to cast right now? Fessick, right? Because you need a giant. And See, what, for me, what are you gonna yeah, the, rock, the Rock going no. to play? Oh, Is he no, going to be no. in every movie? No, no, not at all. Is it gonna be uh what's that what's that uh what's that strong dude, the strong man from uh from Sweden? Oh uh, yeah, like Bjornsson or or some of that guy. Wins Stres all the, it's a the Bjornsson, strong man right? yeah, something like that. Yeah, so I think who would be good for it, and it's a nod to Andre the Giant, it would be uh Paul White, um the wrestler from the nineties or, or WCW WWF days of the big show. Um okay. he is a a giant, B he kind of had the same gimmick kind of coming up in, in his wrestling days. And he's got some acting chops. I don't want to say he's great, but I think he was on like a Netflix, like comic, like sitcom comedy series for uh, a little time. So he has the ability to, you know, drop some lines some dialogue and things like that. So for me, I would lean that way. You know, what's funny though. I think the reason Andre the giant worked so well is because he couldn't see the lines very well. <laughs> do you hear how like they got him to like read yeah. the parts yeah. uh, rob reiner literally recorded on tape That's all right. of his parts and sent the tapes to him so that he could phonetically sound out all the words because he couldn't speak english that well Not if well. you guys don't know he's, he's french like right. under the giant french they met they met him at a hotel in paris for him to like audition and and Rob Reiner literally had to like record everything for him just so he could practice it because you know he couldn't hardly remember any of the stuff Another fun story from uh, the casting when they were trying to cast him because like literally they had to cast a giant, which is a very small population of yeah. human population that could fit this role. Is that when people came in to read for Andre the Giant or read for Fessick, the scene they 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 ran in the casting room was when Wesley was on his back. So that that banter between Wesley and Fessick while he's on his back. Yeah. So. I, for, uh, I forget the guy's name who was the uh, guy running the lines with all the actors, but he's like the guy, that guy, when he was interviewed, he said, I've never rode on the backs of so many men because <laughs> all of the actors who came in to read for the part said they could read it better if they were acting it out as well. So right. he literally would get on their backs and, and do that. And another fun thing about that scene is that that's one of the very few scenes that they used a stunt double for Wesley uh, because Wesley was too big and Andre the Giant at that point in his career had uh, major back issues. Yeah. They didn't want to put a ton of weight onto onto him. So let's go and try further and cast this movie, right? So do I'm we saying, I'm saying Zoe Deschanel is Buttercup, maybe. Let's go Burnett. It's it's really funny and uh coincidental that you, you would say that because I would pick Zoe Saldana. Who somebody again, that's a name I don't know. So who is that? Give me a so role. Uh, Gamora from you know Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yes. She's also in like Avatar, like the yeah. you know, and then she's been in Crash. She's been in a bunch of bunch of other movies, right? I think, I think, because I think if they're rebooting this, right, they're not going to give her this lame damsel, you know, thing. They're probably going to try to rework her part a little bit more, so it's like a little bit more headstrong, a little bit more, you know, with it, you know, a little bit more of an ass kicker. So I think someone like that could probably get it done. There aren't too many more, like, obviously, just because of social times today, there aren't as many, like, damsel in distress movies. That's just right. kind of a thing that was very big in the 80s um, that is kind of no longer in our zeitgeist. We got some amazing 
strong female like badasses now. They, right. But you know, name the original female badass. The original female the badass. Original female badass in an era when female badasses were not really put as leading women. What do you mean, like Linda Blair? Like where are we where are we going? Alien. The very oh, first say, alien. oh, you want to go say what's going on? Weaver. Okay, I like that. I like Weaver, that. the very first, like a like a first real, like big budget leading lady who kicked ass and was believable. I think. I think so. I think she kind of grew into that, uh, kind of grew into that role a bit. You know what I mean? It was something that like, I like, I like those, uh, the alien series is great. That's a, that's yeah. a good, that's a good movie. Especially the original, like the very first alien. So we're kind of split. We've got some Zoe's up there for, for, uh, yeah, please read the chat to me. I want to see what they're, what they're saying. Oh, the I, chat. I, I, oh, a Kristen Ritter. Joshua Carl says Kristen Ritter. Kristen Ritter. Okay. That's a you know who that is, right? She's uh like the B apartment B twenty three. She's Jessica Jones in the Marvel Comics yes, yes. uh series. That was that was a pretty good. Um uh Gal Gadot, like uh someone saying Wonder Woman, she could play like you know, buttercup, that kind of thing. Somebody uh, says Chris does uh Strobe say Chris Pratt for uh Wesley? Maybe. I see that's, that a, that's, that's a little handsome man. Uh, I cannot see Ryan Reynolds as a lead. Someone says I wouldn't see Ryan Reynolds as a lead for this either. Huh? It's funny because I mean I'm a I'm a Ryan Reynolds fanboy a little bit. Me too. And, I, I, um, I'll man crush on him a little bit. That's fine. It's see uh, what he, I mean. He has kind of the right unassuming build still. Like the he's got the unassuming face. I yeah I could see Ryan Reynolds playing. Uh, I like the I like the wit of him, like because obviously he's like a sarcastic, like smartass or, or whatever. Like, but he's super physical, and I think that like if they're gonna try to like buff him out, you know, a little bit, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's not really like uh, I feel like know, if, not, you, if you put the right clothes on Ryan Reynolds, he doesn't look buff. Like he look, he's still a, like a tall, slender guy. He's just ripped for roles. I mean, uh, come on, think of, remember, remember, uh, like I mean, when he was in Van Wilder, he wasn't buff. Yeah, true. I, you know, since the, yeah, but he's, yeah, I, I'll give you that. I'll give you that one. So we want to go with that. That's not a bad, that's not a bad entry. I would, uh, that's, that, that would be my, my. That'd be a movie you'd want to see? I, I, I mean, I don't think I'd want to see this movie in general, but. <laughs> I, I, Leave my classics alone. Whether I want to see it or will see it are two different things. All right. Let's cast, uh, Inigo Montoya. Let's, let's cast Inigo. it. Hmm. Who do you think that's, you know, an actor around, you know, like current times? Um, that you think would play a good Inigo Montoya? Uh oh, oh. <laughs> what's his face? Um, the dude who plays every Mexican vi- villain. Uh, <laughs> it's got all scarred up. Are you thinking like Danny Trejo? Yeah, Trejo. Really? <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Uh, but I think my my guess it would be uh, Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian. He has that same kind of vibe. I think he can pull that off. Uh, really I well. I can see that because, like, you know, what's funny? Uh, I just watched Wonder Woman '84, and he was in that. And yeah, uh, comparing that role to that, I could see, I could see that fitting. Yeah. If you like, with Game of Thrones, he's the Prince of Dorne. He's got kind of that, you know, that suave kind of, you know, way about him. Plus, you know, the the martial arts stuff and and, and things of that nature. And not martial, the sword play and sword fighting and the physicality of it. I think he could handle that really well. Um, I think that would be something that that I'd be I'd be cool I'd be down to see. Uh, we that would have been a good segue to the sword fight, but we're still in this thing. <laughs> who do you think uh, would be Prince Humperdinck? Prince Humperdinck. 
Um, ooh, who could be a, a snarky, a snarky, cocky? What does the chat think? I would probably go. Uh, Tom Hiddleston pops into my mind like right away. Um, plays Loki in the Avengers movies and stuff like that. He is that snarky kind of quick-witted person, but can play a villainish, you know, kind of well. Um, I, I wouldn't mind seeing seeing him. Uh, I'm seeing a trend in all of your picks. They're all people who have played in comic book movies. I mean, they're they're. You can't find a comic book movie nowadays that's not very well acted, at least to you know to some certain extent. Yeah. Um, the 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 best of the best are getting picked for you know Marvel roles, and they're definitely like stepping up their game a bit. You know, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> JC says John Mulaney. I don't think John. I mean, Prince Humperdinck wasn't the manliest of men, yeah. but you believed he was a man. John, I, wait, that's I, John funny. Mulaney, John Mulaney is. I think he might be a little bit too thin built for that. But maybe he could do Miracle Max. He could maybe do Miracle Max. Yeah, I like I like John Mulaney in a role because you get you need like that stand up comic kind of you know you back know, and forth kind of thing. I just thought because it's been fresh in my mind with a show that um, Lauren and I have been watching recently. Uh, who could be good for Vicini? And I'd say maybe James Spader uh, for Vicini. Vicini, yeah, I, I, see, I like that. I could see James Spader playing Vicini. He's, I, I I I hate the way he talks, but I understand why you would pick that because he is very verbose and and kind of talks you know a lot and whatever. Did you? Uh, I'm sure you know since you're a super fan of, of this movie that like Danny DeVito was originally going to be yeah. like supposed to be Vicini. And um, it's funny because Wallace Shawn wasn't the original person for the role or thought to be the person for the role. Like, if you know anything about Wallace Shawn, he's a very educated man. Like, he's a very intelligent, theatrical actor. And um, because they were thinking about casting DeVito, he was very nervous on set. He was very insecure playing the role because of who was... Because, because who, who was supposed to be there. Yeah, right. Who was supposed to be there. Which is kind of funny because, I mean, he, he, he nailed the role. And now, with it like this, I couldn't see Danny DeVito playing that role. Like, I just right? can't see... Although now at this point, my thought of Danny DeVito is from Always Sunny. Like that's right. him now to me. Right. But he is, he's, he's that guy. How about uh, if we go and do Make uh, Christopher, Christopher Guest's uh, character? Uh, yes, the man with six fingers. Yes. Um, uh, which is funny. Uh, another fun fact about that movie. Uh, one of the only on-screen injuries of the movie. Cap, Cap Rugen, right? Yeah, Count Rugen. One of the only on-screen injuries that the actual scene is in the movie when it happens is when after they come out of the fire swamp and they get caught by Count Rugen and he bonks him on the head with the with the sword, mm -hmm. he actually hit him and knocked him out. Like he actually got knocked <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually real in the movie. He gets knocked out. So Carrie Ells gets knocked out in the movie. That's the second injury that uh, Carrie Ells suffered filming that movie too and he like it was his choice to around that time to go down like head first into the quicksand that wasn't yep. originally scripted and like i love i love like inside movie stuff like that that, that comes yeah. about that that's like all this stuff that's like just the magic that just, just gets captured and they just run with it like yeah, the things where they're they're like ad-libbing and spitball and stuff and then they, they, they take you know just different moments of magic that, that happen i love that he said, uh, he said jumping in feet first wasn't heroic. It wasn't what a hero would do. So they, uh, they re, 
imagine the scene. They had the stunt man do it first to see if they could do it. Yeah. And uh, it was it was a risk because under the sand was a trap door that oh had to open. And if you didn't open the trap door at the right moment, you would just slam your head smack into, into the door. Of course, yeah. So they uh, they did it with a stunt man first, and it worked. And then Cariel's decided he's like, got to do it. See, I could see. Somebody said John Stamos in the chat earlier. I could see John Stamos possibly doing that because, like, Count Rugen is kind of like a pretty man, a pretty confident man, and obviously John Stamos is a pretty man. I could see Stamos doing that. <laughs> Joshua Carl says, Lin-Manuel Miranda as the six-fingered man. I think he's too nice, and he has, like, decent acting chops because if you're, like, his, you know, obviously Hamilton. Uh, there's a show on HBO that's His Dark Materials, and that's a great show. And he does a great job at like dramatic acting. Uh, some people are just saying, you know, just let Christopher Guest come back and knock it out. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. If if he's the one, you know, you can keep one person from the original cast. Anybody got a recent picture of him? How old is he right now? Chris, oh, I have no idea. I I, I wouldn't be what able to tell you. Is Christopher Guest in? What's that? What condition is he in? What's funny is. Um, you know, one of the caveats, I f- and I forget who made him do it, who made Rob Reiner do this, but uh, I forget who said they'd only be in the movie if you if you hid a Spinal Tap thing in the movie. And for those of you who don't know, there is an Easter egg from Spinal Tap in the movie. Oh, really? And it's literally the hat. The hat that Rob Reiner wore while directing uh, Spinal Tap is hanging in Fred Savage's bedroom. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah. So it's a little like weird Easter egg from Spinal Tap. Let's move to say uh, like some of the smaller roles, like uh, maybe like the albino in the the pit of despair. It's super small, but it's you know it has it, its moments. It's small. It's kind of funny because uh, you don't have to take into account looks. See, that's a role I could see Danny DeVito playing almost. I could see Danny DeVito being in that role because he is a small man, and that that role requires so much makeup. And yeah. I, but I could see him pulling that that demeanor off. The, the coughing, I could see him delivering those lines in a in a convincing manner. Uh, I don't know, like rewatching it today and, and with this in mind, I was thinking uh, Horatio Sands, like because he kind of looks kind of similar to that uh, to that guy's build. Um, his kind of comedic timing, he would have it, you know, down a little bit. I think that he could kind of pull that off as well as I think like someone like some, you know, I'll lean on some SNL kind of uh, alums for, uh, you know, some of this stuff. Um, like Bill Hader, I think he could have been like the six fingered man or he could yeah. have been, or he could yeah. have been Humper Dink too. Like he, I think he could have played either, either one of those guys um, I agree. fairly well. I can agree with that. Definitely. And, uh, to, to riff on Saturday Night Live, you know, alums a little bit more, um, you know, to have Valerie who was, you know, originally played by Carol Kane. I would almost like to see, um, oh my God, her name literally was like right on the tip of my tongue. And then just went Kate McKinnon, um, okay. To have her kind of play the, you know, the to the valley, the wife of uh, the Miracle Max. Do you uh, do you know like the the whole the way the whole uh, Miracle Max scene came together? Billy Crystal, I think they filmed for ten hours or something, and Billy Crystal didn't say the same joke more than once. Every time, yeah. And he literally just riffed like whatever century humor off the top of his dome <laughs> for ten hours, never saying the same joke twice, and they and um. Uh, Carol King and Billy Crystal wrote the backstory for that for their yeah like, that was that all yeah that was not 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 planned at all it wasn't in the original uh, screenplay at all but that's I mean and apparently the two scenes that were the hardest for the crew to get through without laughing yeah. 
was was that scene and the scene in the pit of despair where he's like coughing and whatever. Like apparently Carrie Ells had all the trouble to lay there still. Keeping it together. I read that uh, uh, the director, Rob Reiner, like when Billy Crystal was doing his part, you know, while they were like working it out, he couldn't even be in the room. Like he had to like completely leave set because he was laughing so hard that he, he like, he just couldn't be there. He had to remove himself from the scenario. I find that, that, that kind of stuff a lot of fun. I find a lot of the directors who allow that style in their movies find a lot of success like i like like people um uh like 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 shows like curb where there's like they put people in a room that are funny and they just let them riff and they just get gold and i i guess that was probably a lot harder to do back in the 80s because you were on film and film cost money right obviously today you can just do it digital so it doesn't matter how many times you're shooting you're only paying the crew you're not paying for actual media anymore film, film stock yeah i mean you got hard drive space but you can wipe that at the you know yeah, the end exactly. of the day or whatever yeah so the, the fact that they did that type of a, a or i mean i guess billy crystal was kind of royalty at the time just they let him do his yeah. thing let him do his I, thing yeah i think i don't know when did city slickers come out i think it came out what in the early 90s i think he's still think that was like early right and high from that yeah. Yeah. City Slickers. <laughs> I like that movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you'd uh, like to, you know, include on nuggets that we haven't talked about? Uh, as far as like like fun facts about the movie. Hmm. Yeah. So yeah, uh, something that people would find insightful for sure. Uh, so um, you know that like the entire filming of the movie, uh, Carrie Ells had a broken toe because of Andre the Giant. I did not know that. He, uh, before they actually started filming and they were just like, you know, on set together, uh, Andre couldn't get transported around in the van that they had. So the, he had right. his own ATV, like a golf cart type deal that he drove around and he coaxed Carrie into driving it one day. He's like, come on, just drive it. And he's like, nah. he got him to drive it. And uh, Carrie got his foot stuck in some of the mechanics of the, the gas pedal area. And broke his toe. So um, I didn't know that until I actually listened to the the book, as you wish. And then when I went back and watched the movie, you could see all the little things that they had to do to kind of mask the fact that he was walking around on a broken foot. Um, there's a few scenes where you can really tell. Uh, the one where he sits down with uh, and. Uh, it's when he after they climb the cliffs of insanity and they sit down and he's getting rocked out of his shoe. The way he sits kind of funny, and you can tell he's kind of uh, pampering the foot. Um, so that was a fun little fact that a lot of people don't know. But when you go back and watch the movie and pay attention, you'll see him like favoring his hurt foot. Let's see what else. I made some notes of things that I wanted to like touch on, which we've touched on a lot of them actually, like the Danny DeVito thing, the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. Yeah. Oh. The, the only how, reason- how different would that movie look? You know what I mean? In the yeah. 70s with Arnold Schwarzenegger and like Danny DeVito. Like he, it's like twins. Like it, yeah. <laughs> it's like what that's exactly what it is. A, a, a fairy tale version of twins. It's kind of funny because like I think that he was still considered when they actually got it greenlit. It's just at that point, Arnold Schwarzenegger was too expensive. He was way too expensive to, to cast for that movie at, the, at that point, which I, it really worked out for the best for everyone, I think. I think so. I, I, w- um, I would agree for sure. So yeah, we so we talked about how he uh, Count Rugen actually did knock out Carrie Ells in that scene 
so that they they actually used that take. Um, it's hilarious. Another reason I think that the movie holds up this far is for one the dialogue because the dialogue I would I would challenge anybody to find holes in the dialogue or where the dialogue was bad because right. the script writing was so good. There are a few scenes that I can critique and one of them which is the most glaring to me and it's like my least favorite scene that was filmed is when uh Buttercup pushes uh, Wesley down, Wesley the, down the, hill. the hill and then she then goes down the hill with him. Number one, why would you roll down the hill if you were in full control? Like, why didn't she just, like, go down the hill opposed to, like, tumbling down the hill? Number two, you can clearly see it's a stuntman when she is rolling down the hill. Oh, God. Like, the, by the, <laughs> four, like the arms on that chick right there, man. You can tell it's a man in a wig and a red dress. <laughs> so that's, like, one of my, like, one of the real critiques as far as, like, the filming of the movie was concerned and where, where something doesn't hold up, where it wasn't <laughs> as good. But the fact that they did, a, like, the sword fight, which is a lot of people like have the conversation of like what movie had the best sword fight ever. And a lot of people will point to Princess Bride. And when they were filming it, they used other movies as references to what they had to beat as far as their sword fight. And both Mandy Patinkin and Carrie Ells, it's them the whole time in the scene, except for the acrobatics when they got when he does the flips of that scene. That's the only scene that they use a stuntman, a stunt double. The rest of that sword fight is both of them. And they both spent months learning how to sword fight with both hands. So right and left-handed to do the scene properly and to make it believable. So that's like... They took it so seriously. Yeah, they took it very seriously. They they didn't want to use any stunt doubles to do the sword fight, which is commendable because it's a lot of people point to their favorite scene of the movie being that scene. And I tend to agree because not only were they actually sword fighting... But the banter, the banter of that scene, the back and forth is so good that it just, to, to me, that scene is perfect in every way. My favorite scenes would be where Wesley is battling, uh, you know, Andre the Giant and Mandy Patinkin. Like, though, like, and, and it's just for that, like, those, that, like, that repartee, like, back and forth between even Andre the Giant, who, you know, stumbled on almost every one of his lines you know, what he was getting through and like, this isn't, you know, uh, what Visick was telling him, uh, Vicini, sorry, um, was, you know, tell him you're going to do this. And when he comes, you're going to smash his head on a rock. Like all of that, like going on, you know, forward the, the, with, uh, with everything I think was so well done. Um, yeah. And that, that act, that, that middle part of that movie uh, yes. was, is, is by far, is by far my favorite part of that. Definitely the strongest part of the movie from the, the whole Dread Pirate Roberts chasing them, yeah, through the land was just so well done. And I, if I was to pick a scene that was the, the weakest of that part of the movie is I would say when they're on the boat and like the, the eels in the water. Yeah. That was my least favorite of the scenes compared to the cliffs of insanity. And then when Wesley and Fessick, you know, stand off. That, that, that scene wasn't, that sub scene was supposed to be a lot uh, different too. that eel scene. There weren't supposed to be eels. He was supposed to say that there's sharks. Yeah. That there's sharks in there. You don't know what you're doing. There's sharks in there. And that he like takes a goblet of his own blood and like throw throws it into the water and basically chums the water. And that's what gets her to like get scared and like come back, which I think would have been it's obviously a darker, yeah. you know, a darker twist for that movie. But I think that gives it more of a, you know, more of like a, a cooler feel of, of what it is. 
know, I, that's actually something I've never heard. So I don't, I've never heard that, uh, that little tidbit of information. Um, but like between that and then the whole, uh, pit of despair, the levels of the pit of despair would have made for a much darker movie, you know? Yeah. Which would have been, which is plausible in the eighties because you had movies like dark crystal labyrinth was pretty dark for what it was. And like, movies of that era. And again, when you talk about movies of that era, it, Princess Bride comes up, Labyrinth comes up, Dark Crystal comes up, stuff like that. And so it could have been plausible that that could have happened in that era. I just think it takes away from the comedic value then. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's it's that balance because yeah. it's so smart and it's so funny. And then it has those moments of, you know, that serious, you know, whatever, the, the storytelling that they're doing that, you know, if they took it into like, you know, such a dark place that I think it wouldn't. I think overall the 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 weight of the movie would kind of be thrown off. But I like that when when reading that and finding out, I was like, that's a cool part of the movie. I think I would be like okay with watching. So plug what you've got coming up. Let us let the people know where they can find you that are just listening to this. The the people that are here now that may not already be following you, that are gonna see this on YouTube later, hopefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Plug yourself. What have you got going on? Let us know where uh, the, the people can find you. So obviously my Twitch channel, which is right uh, there. Right, 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 right there. There. Yeah. there. Um, I stream four to five times a week. Uh, Mondays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Wednesdays from either 6 to 9 or 7 to 9 uh, Eastern, depending on what I'm doing. On uh, I, I throw a party called Funked, F-N-K-D. Um, it's kind of a bunch of music that is funky in nature, whether it's, and, and to me, funk isn't a genre. It's a kind of a, it's, that sounds like, a way of life. It's a, it's a feeling. Funk is a feeling. And a feeling there's, a lot of, there's a lot of types of music that feel funky that aren't funk. But so on Mondays, I do a funk show on Wednesdays. I do a show called Wubble Wednesdays where we focus on uh, more bass heavy music, whether it be ghetto funk, uh, drum and bass, bass house, uh, glitch hop, Anything like that. It's it's the one where you want to subwoofer to listen to. <laughs> Thursdays, I do another funk stream from 7 to 9, which is what was before this show today. Uh, on Fridays from noon to 2 p.m. Eastern, I do Disco Fridays, which is uh, a raid type thing I do with Sam Tweaks, Steve Disco Newsom, and DJ Kodis. Uh, all of those guys are all, UK. All good guys. All good people, all on the other side of the pond. But that day is all of like new disco, classic disco, disco house, filter disco, all like the disco sounds. So uh, those are the days that I schedule streams. Um, I definitely do pop-up streams from you know time to time, playing other stuff. So like on my channel, you're going to hear a lot of funk, new funk, ghetto funk, drum and bass, uh, disco house, soulful house. Uh, you're not going to hear like radio cuts of a lot of things, like a lot of current top 40. You're not going to hear that on my station unless it's like a remix that I love, like a flip. But yeah, it's gonna, it's 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 a little bit different. But we have an awesome community of people who love it and they're they're friendly, all about positive vibes. So that's that's what I'm doing because we still can't go to work. It's very true. All the other social medias, where can everybody find you? Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitters, all that. At DJ Aiden Scott. So uh, I'm also a photographer and a videographer, which a lot of people don't know about that side of my life. Um, that Instagram is just at Aiden Scott, which you can go to and find my other Instagrams because the link in the bio, link in bio, uh, the, <laughs> the link in the bio of all my Instagrams will take you everywhere else. My SoundClouds, uh, my MixCloud, 
uh, YouTube, all that stuff can be found on my Instagrams. So Instagram at Aiden Scott or at DJ Aiden Scott, or finally at Funked Philly, which is F N K D Philly. So, but if you go to any of those Instagrams, which Aiden Scott's the easiest to remember, you can just click the link in the bio and find the other ones. Awesome. Thank you so much, sir, for uh, volunteering to uh, to come on the show. I hope you had a good time. I had a good time uh, chopping up with uh, one of your favorite movies. I'm glad I could be here, and uh, now I'm hungry, and I want to go have some. Uh... <laughs> it's dinner time. It's beyond dinner time for you, sir. Yeah, I get it. Time. Thank you so much, sir, and uh, I'll talk to you very soon. All right, guys. Take care. All right, guys. I wanted to send a, a huge shout-out to Aiden Scott for being our first guest on the podcast. Thank you guys so much for being here, being a part of the live experience. We're going to do this each and every Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be talking about all different kinds uh, of movies and, and have a bunch of different stories from a bunch of different people. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, next week, we have Billy Lane from the 906 Junglist channel. Uh, we're going to be looking at Big Trouble Little China, Kurt Russell classic cult movie again. Uh, and then the following week, we're going to have G DJ Joshua Carl. If you guys... Uh, would be so kind to like and subscribe on all the channels that are uh, available for us. I appreciate each and every one of you guys for being here. Thank you so much and have a wonderful night and we'll catch you next week.